We've all heard the phrase, that kind of thing doesn't happen in our town. But here on Midwest Murder, we will shatter that false reality. In fact, it happens more often than we know. And sometimes the details of the most horrific crimes that happen in our neighborhoods are lost in the back pages of newspapers, forgotten on our news channels, and eventually erased over time. We are here to talk about murder, diving into some of the most controversial cases in Midwest history. This show will not shy away from the morbid details of these horrific events and the often ugly truths behind them. What you will hear is a detailed timeline of events, perspectives from those closely involved, and analysis by experts. What you will feel is the darkness that surrounds each story, the innocence lost by the victims, and hopefully, the justice that was ultimately delivered. Don Palumbo. Don Alanto. I'm not even out of breath after that one. Yeah. Well, I think it's because you went through it so quickly this time. Did I? Did I yeah. talk quickly? That was a lightning speed intro on your part. So, uh, job well done. If that's what you're going for. It was not. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. You yeah. were at you were at lightning speed. Well, listen, listen. Not fast. a criticism. Listen faster then. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I rarely listen fast. <laughs> let me tell you. A big thank you to our uh, to our crowd here tonight at City Brew Hall. We absolutely love this venue. It's one of my favorite venues. This is our second time back. An amazing crowd. Amazing town. It reminds me of my college days visiting a, a friend down at the old hospital and eating hangover food at Taco John's. Like the best. Like it makes me feel like I'm at home. So we love you guys. Thank you. Yes. And a shout out to the nachos here at this place. So holy smokes. Favorite nachos we've had in any venue or city we've been to right here in Wapaton. That's not made up. That is no bullshit. We love the nachos here. They're incredible. And the ranch. Uh, Jonah got a little bit on his finger and I almost bit it off. So uh, (laughs) that's it's weird. It, It brought us to another level of in our in our friendship. So, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I survived a near dawn biting because the ranch here is so damn good. Yeah, so we we appreciate you guys. Thank you for having us. And of course, a big thank you to those listening. And thank you to everyone who has rated and reviewed the podcast. We are grateful for the comments, the feedback, and support that we receive from our listeners. We truly, truly appreciate it. And when you leave us a comment, it does more than just boost our egos or make me not sleep at night if it's depending on what what kind of review it is either way we appreciate them and it does great things for for us it pushes us to the charts and and that's huge it's been a big year for us we we trended in the top 60 podcasts along you know the lines of uh, within the same names of of morbid and dateline and and those types of things so it, it really truly does do a lot of things more than for more than just our egos whether that be a blow or a or a boost yeah, most of the podcasts who find themselves in that top 100 slot are produced by big studios. They're celebrities. They're, they're people with a big following. Don and I are just two little people from a small town in the Midwest. And somehow we managed to Forrest Gump our way into the top 100 of the Billboard podcast charts. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty freaking cool. So, uh, and that's all thanks to you guys. So yeah, please we, do keep listening, keep on real. reviewing us, jump onto iTunes and this review. This review comes from G Thorson 24. Bone chillingly amazing. Five stars. I started listening to Midwest Murder after going through a breakup. It oh. gave me something to look forward to at a time there didn't seem much to be to look forward to. Midwest Murder gives us a unique history that the Midwest seems to hide unless looking for it. I appreciate how they provide details that many podcasts would hide due to being graphic. Thank you, Midwest Murder. Well, thank you. And I'm so sorry about your breakup. 
I, yeah. for me, my, my breakup thing was how I met your mother, uh, once upon a time. So I, it's cool that we are yours. Thank you. That's cool. And you know, if you ever want to talk, just let us know. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, happy to help you get through some tough times and, and thanks for, uh, thanks for taking the time to review us. This next one comes from Plato Cooker Review. Three stars. Have listened to your first three episodes. Looking for another podcast to add to my list. The cases you chose to present are interesting and well researched. When both of you are speaking at the same time at your typical rapid speed, however, it's impossible to hear what either one of you is saying, and it's so aggravating. I'm not sure I can continue listening to your podcast. I'll give it another chance, though, since it is otherwise a good production. Those are fair critiques of our early episodes. They, they, they really are. are. We were still mm-hmm. learning our way through, finding our balance with one another, finding our balance in the show, finding our place as as a voice in the true crime world and as researchers. So I think those are valid critiques. I'd also like to believe that here we are uh, 80 plus some odd episodes later. I think that we are a heck of a lot better now than we were then, although I'm super proud of the early work, Don. Absolutely. Super proud of the early work. I mean, obviously it it did amazing things for us and it was a, a, a great thing. Uh, nobody does their best work right up front. They yeah. don't. They don't get out of the gate with their best work. So I, I'm sorry. But I too but am keep, agra- keep aggravated listening. about those things about our early podcast. I day, will so. not listen to them. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So please give us another chance. Maybe pick something later. But also be sure to check out our merch. We have added a few new designs and products to order. Check out our socials for a link or go to TooManyShirts.com slash Midwest dash murder. We do use somebody local and they are awesome. They're, they're a two to three man show and they are incredible to deal with. So please give them a, give them a shot. And our merch quality is really good. These aren't, it's like, not like the cheap cardboardy type t-shirts that, that you can buy. These are, it's, it's high quality, soft, great material. I, I, I love our merch. I think that yeah. Too Dark does a great job for us. Mm-hmm. I'm actually waiting for my pair of joggers. I can't wait. Yeah, we got mm-hmm. joggers on there now. We'll have to have a joggers only show one time. A pajama show. I would kill for that. I'm wearing leather <laughs> pants right now and it's really hot, you guys. Yeah. And not in a great way. I mean, I'm like sweating. That's what it means. Yeah. Not like, ooh, look at these leather pants. No, I am, I am sweating. I would be all for a joggers show. All right. Today... It was time to get out of the 2000s because for you, I have for me because I have set up camp there and uh, just hung out there for a while. And so we're gunning it to 1986. Okay, going back to 1986 for Mm -hmm. this story. Mm -hmm. So this was the first year that we honored and recognized Martin Luther King Jr. Day. The Voyager shuttle launched into space and made the first flyby of. Uranus. I know I can't say it. It makes me. Giggle. You were gonna say yeah. You were gonna say something else. I was gonna say the butthole planet, but I can't. Um, <laughs> and also, but you did. I just did. I just did. I do that. I always point it out. I'm like, oh, this is what I wasn't going to say, and then I say it. Yeah, uh, I could have just said it, and that would have been funnier. That is me. And also, uh, they also found new moons. So pretty cool. But then, sadly, just days after the Voyager launched, the Challenger exploded 73 seconds after launching, killing all seven crew members, which included, of course, the first teacher that was supposed to be in space, Krista McAuliffe. So, super sad. And I I didn't realize until doing research that those happened just days days apart. Yeah, I'm not no sure what's going on with the NASA budget, but they were very confident 
to have two launches within days. Probably not the time for that joke. Pixar Animation, yes, that Pixar, separated from Lucasfilm as an independent production company with a little bit of support from Steve Jobs, which I'm guessing is financially. Anti-smoking ads debuted, the, the very first anti-smoking ads. It's like what, oh. what we grew up with. Uh, and it featured actor Yule Brennan, who had died of lung cancer in 1985. I feel like that's a weird thing, you know, a, a year after he dies. But I guess it's packs a punch. Um, Halley's Comet approached Earth. Geraldo opened up Al Capone's vault on live TV and found absolutely nothing. Yeah. I bet the hype going into that was so extreme. We're getting into Al Capone's vault. It was like he had like uh, big time ratings. And then, I mean, maybe he should have had a little bit of a delay or recorded it first and then went for it. But he was confident. That's cool. Uh, the nuclear reactor at Chernobyl exploded. Anne Frank's complete diary was published for the first time. And uh, my my one-sided nemesis, and I say that because he has no idea who I am, but my one-sided <laughs> nemesis, Phil Collins, won a Grammy that year. Uh, why do I hate Phil Collins? I have no idea. I have yeah, absolutely you, no what idea. What do you got against old Phil? And he is not in great health at this point, so I really feel like I should let it go. But uh, yeah, I can't stand him. I have, I have hated his guts since I was probably eight. Yeah. First year for the Rock and Roll Hall Show of Fame. Show me on this doll where Phil Collins hurt you. <laughs> and uh, you know, you know what I would direct you to? I would direct you to the the classic the classic rock station of uh, in Minot ninety nine point nine back in the eighties. It was nothing but Phil Collins, and okay. there was just something piercing about it because that was all I was hearing. And that was you know in the days where we'd record the radio. Of course, yeah, on a tape. Yeah. Well, you know what? I wanted more than just Phil Collins on my freaking tape. So, uh, yeah, again, he has to call into that request line. Yeah, he really, I tried, I tried and he really (laughs) has nothing to do with it, but I still hold that beef with him tightly. Uh, it was the first year for rock and roll hall of fame, Chuck Berry, James Brown, Ray Charles, Sam Cooke, Fats Domino, Everly Brothers, Buddy Holly, Jerry Lee Lewis, who married his child cousin, but that's, uh, Elvis Presley, Little Richard, uh, were all inducted that first year and the museum location would not be announced until later that year. So they like, Hey, come check us out. We're just not telling you where yet. So pretty good marketing plan. Uh, Guns and Roses were signed for their first ever contract. It was pretty rad. Top Gun premiered. I feel like that was worthy. Very worthy. Uh, you know, Tom Cruise Should aside, we sing the song? but yeah. Yeah. Like the danger zone. Is that yeah. what you want to say? Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm good. Okay. Yeah. Maybe on the way to Fargo. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe after Hamilton plays. <laughs> Maybe. We only have an hour though. I can't get through. I can't even get through the first act in an hour. Yeah. Brian Boitano won the U.S. Male Figure Skating Championship. And I am a child of the 90s, born in the 80s, child of the 90s. And so every time I hear the name Brian Boitano, I think of South Park the movie. What would Brian, Brian Boitano, Boitano do? do? I can't <laughs> yeah. hear his name without thinking <laughs> yeah, that. Thank you. Yeah. Mike Tyson sexually harassed one of... Many, many women. Uh, Gretzky broke his own NHL record with his 136th assist, and he'd go on to break even more records in that year. Martina Navratilova was the first tennis player to earn $10 million. And it's interesting to note that she wasn't even the first female tennis player. She was the first tennis player. That's That's impressive in 86, yeah. Mm -hmm. Super Bowl 20. I didn't even have to Google what XX meant because I actually knew what that was, uh, what that meant. Uh, the Bears beat the Patriots 46 to 10. Go Bears in that, in that part. Not a Bears fan, but 
anybody who's playing the Patriots, I'm good. That was a great Bears team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it was yeah. the yeah, it was a Super Bowl Horse. shuffle. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is the weirdest video of all time. Like, oh yeah. The weirdest is. yeah music video, but yeah. Uh, Barry Bonds made his MLB debut with the Pittsburgh Pirates. The Montreal Canadiens beat the Calgary Flames, winning the Stanley Cup. Jack Nicholas, who was you know still a middle-aged fella at the time, he won the Masters. And the World Series, I didn't want to put this in there because I'm a big Red Sox fan, but we were still dealing with the curse of the babe. The Mets beat the Red Sox. So That's 86 in a nutshell. That is 86 in a nutshell. All right. Yeah. It's become one of my favorite parts of of these uh, episodes is researching those because I was like, oh, put yourself on the map. It's really good. All right. So regardless of the year or decade, simply said, young modern women can be quite similar and have some of the same hurdles, worrying about whether or not she's good enough, her beauty, the shape of her features, looking the certain way society makes us believe is perfect. It's all pretty similar, regardless of what year you were born. And Morna Brennan was similar to other 22-year-olds as she explored what path life was supposed to take her on, gaining confidence and growing into the person that she was supposed to be. That early 20s feeling, right? And especially as a, as a, as a woman, it's a little bit different. When you first met Morna, she was a little shy, but according to her friend Darla, quote, when you got to know her, you couldn't shut her up. I think we all have a, I think we've all, we all probably have a friend like that or met someone like that. Or you are like that. That's cool too. Right. Or you Mm -hmm. are the one. Yeah. In 1984, she broke up with her longtime boyfriend and moved back to her parents' home in Fridley. She was very close with her mom, her dad, her stepdad, and her sister. And while she was timid and quiet at times... She did not settle or really question her worth when it came to dating. Morna, who was analytical and ambitious, she held her standards very high. At one point, she wouldn't go on a second date with somebody because he wore uh, scuffed up tennis shoes. Okay. So, yeah. Standards are important. Standards are important. And if you can recognize your worth as a partner, it's a very big deal. So at 22, she was able to do that. And even after, even two years after her long-term relationship ended, she was not ready for a serious relationship and confided in friends that she wasn't going to marry anyone until she was at least 30. I really like that choice. I know. I it's a, it's like a good a, choice. It's a good choice. I, I, I want that choice for my kids, I think. Looking back, I might have taken that choice for myself. <laughs> okay. Okay. Does JC listen? Like, <laughs> I didn't marry her until I was after 30. Okay. All right. Okay. That's, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> Once you turn 21 and can drink in a bar legally, the bar scene can get old very quickly, especially if you aren't a big drinker. So Morna's group of friends often shows movies or friends' houses, and if they couldn't come up with something else to do, then the bar scene would suffice. And they were in Mapleton, Minnesota. So... You're near the cities. You can kind of, you know, have a different scene than other areas, you know, certainly different than what we would have in North Dakota, you know, being a, a big or a bigger metropolis. Uh, M- Mapleton is a suburb then, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Yep. Yep. And so Morna and her close friend, Darley Hughes, spent a lot of time together uh, making plans and making plans for their 20s and what they were going to do in life. And having recently taken up skiing and getting new skis as an early Christmas present, the two joked that they were going to buy fancy ski outfits of the 80s and become professionals. They're going to become professional skiers that winter. 
Can, can we all just stop and picture what those fancy <laughs> ski outs, ski outfits look like in the eighties? I'm picturing like really thick windbreakers. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yep. So on November seventh, nineteen eighty-six, twenty-two-year-old Morna and a close friend decided to spend the evening out. They went to a popular bar nightclub that they frequented somewhat regularly, even with their reduced bar scene, and that was called Empty Pockets. I want to I want to talk about this for a second. It was called M period T period Pockets. And so also, I feel like whoever names their establishment that, is that because your drinks are so high cost? Like why? Like it's a bad marketing plan, I think, from the, from the get-go, but I think it's fine. clever. It is clever. It just sends the wrong message, but that's... that's empty it. your pockets at my bar. <laughs> I guess. You're going to empty your pockets. You're going to maybe empty your standards. You're going to empty a lot of things at this empty place. Empty a lot of things, Yeah. Empty Pockets was your stereotypical 80s nightclub. Loud music, dancing, you know, Tom Cruise bartending behind the the bar, you know, just making weird poems. Was this was this like the cocktails era? Yeah, here? that's my favorite one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, probably countless Alabama slammers or Bartle and James wine coolers that were being served. <laughs> so I mean it was it just exuded Bring in typical back the, 80s. The Bartle and James wine coolers. <laughs> yeah. The exterior was painted green and yellow, as if someone thought they were in Packers country instead of being mo- just mere miles from the Metrodome. So that I, struck me as a little bit odd, but you do you. That's fine. And uh, the, so the two women, when they got there, they sat at the bar near one of the club's more popular bartenders. She was always busy. She was personable and made great drinks, one of which was probably an Alabama slammer. It was your typical Friday night at a popular establishment, so it was busy and even at max capacity that night. When some men see a woman or a couple of women sitting at a bar, some men take that as an automatic sign of interest prior to any contact with them. If a woman is sitting at a bar alone, oh my God, they're feeling me. That's I'm going to have to go talk to them. And that evening was absolutely no different for Morna and her friend. And I'm so sorry if you're one of those dudes that thinks that, but... You should you should really feel it out before you think they're they're. I was one of those guys. I've been one of those guys one time, you know, um, just one time when I was early, just early once. days, just one time for sure. Okay, just one time before I knew better, you know, That's that fair. wasn't an invitation. That's fair. And a few interested parties bought the two young women a couple of drinks, which is cool. But it, one was somewhat of a regular, but nobody knew a lot about him, other than he'd been asked to leave a few times on different occasions. Once for threatening to kick a bartender's head through a TV because he was a self-proclaimed martial arts enthusiast. That's a high kick for sure. Yeah. and uh, Maybe a jumping roundhouse. <laughs> you're getting the head through a TV yeah. with your foot. Like you're not pulling the TV down and that's intense. That's intense. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm picturing like a Midwestern version of Jean-Claude Van Damme. It I'm, was the 80s, right? I'm, like it, lend, it lends itself... <laughs> So say, much. I am picturing a dude who watched the Karate Kid five too many times. Well, what's funny is they called him Karate Guy. <laughs> <laughs> of course they did. They did. Yeah. <laughs> After that, you earn yeah. yourself a nickname. And there was also one suitor that just would not leave them alone. Throughout the evening, he kept bothering them by touching them and asking Morna numerous times to dance, even after she said she wasn't interested. This is someone else from Karate this Guy. Is, yeah, this is this aside is from Karate, karate okay. Guy. This is okay. not Karate Guy. He got, the, he got the message and karate'd his way to another person, I'm sure. 
martial arts your way on out of here. <laughs> Shortly before closing, one of the bouncers even approached the, the creepy one, approached him and told him to leave them alone. And at that point, it was assumed he left because he wasn't seen again. At about 12.30 a.m., approximately 10 minutes after the creepy guy got the hint, Morna and her friend got ready to leave and made their way to the door. Someone called her friend's name, and at that point, she turned to talk to her. Morna, ready to leave, also not wearing a jacket, went outside and waited. And as she's leaving, she passed the bouncer who had been monitoring the parking lot. So on her way out, she, the, the bouncer was coming in. She was going out. And a few minutes later, the friend walked outside but didn't see Morna anywhere. After waiting for her for about 45 minutes, she assumed Morna had found another ride home, even though that seemed a bit out of character, and, and more so because they had plans for after the club. Mm. Oh, man. So on November 9th, at this point, still no one had heard from Morna. And as you'd expect, her family and friends were beyond concerned, but still hopeful. And I want to be clear that the night they went out was November 7th. So this is a day past. No one saw her. And now we're on November 9th. So like a whole day passed and everyone's like, oh my gosh. And she's 22, right? So (sighs) people are, all of her friends and family are now coming together saying, Wait a second. No one's heard anything. Who's heard from who? Right. Yeah, it, it was so she's much. She's not 16. Of course. She's 22. She's an adult. Living you with her parents. You can't text everybody about mm-hmm. this. So everyone's calling each other, of course, on their landlines, trying to figure it out, track her down. And you figure, okay, it was a late night. Maybe she mm-hmm. went home. Right. With, with someone somebody. else. Yeah. <clears throat> but again, as you'd expect, her family and friends were beyond concerned, but still hopeful. And so at 4 p.m. on the 9th, they reported her missing. So that same day, later on, in a park about three miles from Empty Pockets, along a running trail, a jogger found a purse, and of course that purse belonged to Morna Brennan. So nearly after 48 hours, the most important, like the, it's like that crucial time of a missing person's case, or even after you know a homicide or anything, it's super crucial. 48 hours after Morna had last been seen, police began searching the area where their purse had been discarded. So it's still that same time frame of when that was found. So they, they got on it right away. They then stumbled upon a couple of white garbage bags. In those bags, they found two off-white bed sheets and two blue curtain panels, all appearing to have a light blood spatter. Of course, fearing the worst, they were sure the items were tied to Morna's disappearance. But being prior to DNA testing, the only thing that they could figure out was that the, the blood was human. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah, they mm-hmm. can't get a whole lot of other detail beyond that at this right. point with the technology. Right. So the investigation ramped up and detectives began retracing Morna's steps. And after holding a press conference on November 14th, investigators followed up on over 350 tips, again by phone, and conducted approximately 500 interviews. So they were working this around the clock and everything led them back to her time at Empty Pockets. So police narrowed their suspect list to three men that Morna had encountered that night. Of course, all while sitting at the bar, because if you're sitting at the bar, that's a, basically wearing a neon sign that says, please come talk to me, which that couldn't be more sarcasm, but that's fine. 
So they narrowed it down to Karate Guy, a local barber who had who regularly had house parties in the area, and then also a blonde guy. That's all they had for him. So some, some blonde. Some blonde dude. Yep. Karate Guy and the barber both had alibis, and they had no idea who the blonde guy was. So the blonde guy was just somebody that other witnesses at Empty Pockets had seen that night that was a little suspicious or somebody that the, that the bouncer had noticed perhaps trying to Well, and the blonde guy is the one that the bouncer was like leave told these to, ladies to alone. beat feet. Yep, absolutely. Okay. So the blonde guy had also been told to leave at one point because he pretended that he worked there. Who is this creep? So he at one point he was bussing tables with a, a a towel like a bar towel over his arm. Oh, he probably had chloroform on there. <laughs> probably. Actually, really good one, buddy. God. Yeah, that was, yeah. Yeah. Well, look, and it's, I've been the bartender who had to tell a guy mm-hmm. to leave a girl alone. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, do you want me to tell him to leave? I've yeah. I've said that a few times. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's a little, it's, it's a little much. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's uneasy because at least in this case, they had a bouncer doing it, but. Yeah. So again, they had no idea who this blonde guy was. Just just a weird fella. Yeah. So all hope that Morna was alive was completely lost on November 24th, just two weeks after being reported missing. A young fella who was setting traps for muskrats, and I also could not have sounded more Midwest there, where a young fella we, setting a trap for muskrats. We're at muskrat right. trapping now. Right. We... I, I, it's almost like an episode of Fargo here. Like this is yeah. this is what's happening. But uh, all kidding aside, uh, as he was setting traps, he was circling a pond that was just off of Highway 96 and about 20 miles from Empty Pockets. When he approached a white garbage bag, suspicious that it was something incredibly gruesome, just by the feel of it and just kind of what it looked like, the trapper was like, "Nope, I'm out." And I'm going to call law enforcement. What? Why was he so suspicious of this garbage bag? That it, it looked like there was clumpy, bloody parts in there? It or was. I've it, seen a lot of garbage bags in my day. I've never seen one I was suspicious of. So I'm curious. It, it was a garbage bag on the middle of a frozen pond. Just out on the middle of a frozen pond. So that's a weird place for a garbage bag to be, especially yes. one that may or may not be bloody. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So when investigators arrived, they, they thought the bag, and of course they're, they're approaching a little bit more cautiously. They're not stepping on the ice because again, it's early November. We're all in the Midwest. We can say that, uh, yeah, the ice might, might not be frozen over at that point. You know, if you're driving down Highway 83 to between Bismarck and Minot, Audubon is still, you know, well, free flowing water. No, Sakakawea is and Audubon is frozen. So. Right. Again. But. This this is 1986 pre global warming, so for sure those ponds were safe in November. Probably global yeah, warming didn't exist it. yet, and maybe still doesn't. It doesn't. So <laughs> right. Jury's out. <laughs> anyway, he decided he's calling law enforcement, and they are being cautious before they just jump on the ice. Safety first. Absolutely. So when when they arrived. At first glance, they thought that the bag might be full of mannequin parts. Oh. That's a weird assumption. Like, oh, there's a bag of mannequin parts just out there on the pond. Weird. No, that wouldn't be my first guess. But uh, 
to get a closer look while they waited to determine if the ice was in fact safe to walk on, one of the detectives used a telephoto lens to get a closer look. And what he saw poking out of the bag appeared to be hair and what looked like a human face. When they were, when they did determine that the ice was safe to walk on, they got closer and it was obvious that it was far from a disassembled mannequin. Oh man. The bag contained a human head, arms, and legs. Next to the bag laid a hand and a foot. They had almost a full dismembered body. There was no torso around. Identified by her dental records, it was confirmed that the human remains belonged to missing 22-year-old Morna Brennan. At that point, they knew that they were obviously dealing with a homicide. So on November 26th, two, just two days later, approximately a mile and a half from the gruesome discovery, was the, the torso belonging to Morna was found. In the forest, in a ditch, also on the ice? No, just a, a woman walking her dog found, found the, torso, the torso, just kind of tossed off the side of the road. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Her remains told the story of her last painful moments. Her face had multiple slash-like lacerations, along with an L-shaped cut on the right side of her face. She also suffered a broken jaw and a fractured skull. This is icky. Her throat had been slit prior to being dismembered. The lines were so clean that it was suspected that a hunter or a surgeon had done this. Regardless, whoever it was, it was obvious that it was someone who was very, very, very angry. Her body also had numerous indentations, but it wasn't clear at that point as to what could have caused them. Some of the investigators said that it might have been construction materials. It, it was just, they were very odd indentations on her body parts. Like indentations, like you know, when you stomp on a body with your foot and it leaves an imprint or, you know, like little divots. No, definitely not a footprint. Okay. It was that there, there was a reason they thought that it might have been construction uh, materials. Like because something they were that oddly was wrapped shaped, around her or, or something. Or they were oddly shaped indentations okay. on the majority of her body. So while the investigation continued, one of the bartenders working uh, that night that Morna disappeared contacted police to let them know that more informa- that they had more information on Blonde Guy. The bartender was pretty sure that his name was Randy, and he was pretty sure that he worked at Drake Marble Company in St. Paul. So just a short, short jaunt away from, from uh, Maplewood. So investigators contacted Drake Marble Company and asked if there was a blonde male by the name of Randy that was employed there. Unfortunately, there was nobody employed with them by the name of Randy. But they did have an employee by the name of Ricky. Ricky Kiger, to be exact. And guess who relatively fit the description of blonde guy? Oh, Ricky... Maybe Randy. I can see where the bartender, I, I think it was, I think it was some Randy guy or something. Okay. So Ricky Kiger was the oldest of four children in the family. He was mainly raised in El Paso, but moved to Rushford, Minnesota when his dad retired from the army. 
He spent the rest of his adolescence on the 400-acre farm where his dad raised uh, feeder pigs, and he remained in the area for a few more years after he graduated from Rushford High School. In 1982, he left the Rushford area for the Stillwater State Prison. Like he, he left Rushford to be a prisoner or? Yep. Yeah. Well. He didn't choose a vacation there. I was going to say, yeah. So he, he didn't really he, leave. He was forcibly removed. Well, I wanted you to make that leap. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I leapt. Yeah. I'm, I leapt. And he went to Stillwater State Prison because he was sentenced to 41 months for five burglaries and two felony thefts. Okay. <laughs> this is, this 40, is where five burglaries, two felony thefts. Okay. Pardon, pardon my chuckle, but this is where it feels even more so like an episode of Fargo. Uh, because he stole 15 trout estimated to be worth about $3,000, the, the fish, from a hatchery. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he, he stole went, fish. He went to a hatchery. And stole three thousand dollars worth of trout, <laughs> estimating to be about fifteen of them. Those are some expensive trout. I, Holy I know. Shit. Yeah, what I can't. You, like, this is Midwest murder, not Midwest math. So I'm not even sure what that what that equates. So like, like, per like trout, what's the per trout cost here? Yeah, it's a lot. Somebody tally those numbers. And feel free to yell it out when you find that math. Because oh, thank you. Boom. So two hundred dollars per trout. fish. Okay, that's... And this was 1986. Yeah, these are expensive science fish. Yeah, for sure. And I'm yeah. not saying that they should be stolen. That's not no, what I mean. But, no. but holy shit, that's expensive fish. And, you know, if you uh, wanted to start your own hatchery, this is where you start. <laughs> like, this is, this is uh, where you're going to make some money. Yeah. So he stole the 15 trout and then also uh, burgled a handful of area restaurants and a Rushford woman's apartment. Well, what did he steal from the restaurants? Tartar sauce? <laughs> Was that your joke for like fish because of fish? Is that? <laughs> you, I, wow. I'm going to let you make that leap. I'm not leaping. I'm not giving that satisfaction. <laughs> but I think he stole some money. And two of those thefts, so five burglaries, two felony thefts, it was pretty big. So handful of area restaurants, which I believe was cash, and then also stole from a Rushford woman's apartment. So that's who we're dealing with here. That's blonde guy. Right. Fish thief, possible murderer. Okay. Mm -hmm. So after detectives spoke with Ricky Kiger's employer, they did a brief background check on him. This is the 80s. We're doing old-fashioned detective work here. Okay. So they found he'd been, he'd been charged in 1976 with raping and choking a female patient at the state hospital in Rochester where he worked as an orderly which, of course, is more commonly called a CNA in, in the recent decades. Gross. Those charges were eventually dropped. This is, I, I can't decide which, which part makes me more offended. Uh, those charges were eventually dropped because prosecutors felt a woman who was being held for mental health purposes would not make a credible witness. So, so he wasn't charged. He wasn't they charged were because the they woman who was raped... He was pardon me, he was charged, he was never prosecuted right. because of that. Because they thought, this mental health patient, she's nuts, she's not going to make a good, good witness, this will never work. Because, I, she's, I, because she's not still a human being. That is so infuriating, it makes me want to freak out. Yeah. So, 
a little more insight into blonde guy here. So that this, so investigators are narrowing in that this is their guy, but not, not sure yet. And when they initially interviewed Krieger, or Kiger, excuse me, they weren't able to get much information from him. He was, he was dodging their questions. It just, it was not working well. So they moved on to his ex-girlfriend, who was more than willing to share information. Excuse you me. gotta, you know, this is an ex, so sometimes in those situations, That's you do fair. have to take that with a grain of salt. That's fair. That's a fair uh, 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 assumption, whatever you want to want to say. But so keep that in mind. But in the early morning hours of November eighth, the same day that Morna Brennan went missing, Kiger called his ex girlfriend at approximately two a.m. in the, in in the morning. Duh, a.m. in the morning. Thanks for very, thanks for clarifying. You're welcome. In a very emotional state. He told her that she had no right to leave him and it left her concerned that, quote, someone was going to have to pay for that. In this conversation, he says, I love you. I hate you so much. I love you. I hate you. So they're still like things are stacking up against this guy, against blonde guy, against Kiger. As the investigators were leaving the ex-girlfriend's home, she stopped them and asked the detectives if Morna had been wearing any jewelry the night that she disappeared. Then she asked if it was a necklace with a heart pendant. So how would the ex-girlfriend have known that? Either she was involved or her ex-boyfriend gave her jewelry from the woman that he had murdered. My first and my, because I want to willfully believe that most people are decent and good people. My first instinct was this sick freak tried to gift her that gift his ex-girlfriend jewelry from a woman he killed. Yes. So investigators immediately knew that Kiger was the person responsible. What did she, so she have that then? She She had it. Okay. Yeah, she had it. Yeah. On December 2nd, almost a month since Morna Brennan disappeared, Vicki Kiger was arrested. When they searched his apartment, they found bloodstains on his bathroom floor, in his bathtub, and in his vehicle. Without saying a word, and from the evidence alone, investigators finally knew what had happened to Morna. Investigators speculated when Morna walked out of empty pockets, he was waiting for her because he was so furious that he'd been rejected. While she was waiting for her friend outside, Kiger somehow convinced Morna to get into his vehicle to possibly warm up. Again, she wasn't wearing a jacket. Almost right after she got in the vehicle, Kiger grabbed her head by her hair and slammed her head into the dash or the door because both parts matched up with the L-shaped. The, uh, in, in, the indentation the, on her? Nope, the L-shaped laceration oh, on her the, face. Okay, okay. So with his apartment barely two miles from the bar, he brought her back to back home and after beating her he put her in his bathtub where he cut her throat and he left her to bleed to death likely wrapping her up in items from his apartment whether that be bed sheets or curtains he put Morna's lifeless body in the back of his pickup where he then left her for two days 
Then he buried her body under a pile of rocks and marble at his employer, Drake Marble Company. After realizing that he was a potential suspect, that is when he dismembered her body using a hacksaw and then discarded her body parts and belongings in the white garbage bags that were eventually found. So when they interviewed Kiger again, his statement left detectives somewhat scratching their heads. In his tearful and confused statement, he told police he didn't know how Brennan died, but he did remember finding her body in his pickup, hiding it, and then later dismembering her. Is it possible that when he abducted her, he was blackout drunk? angry blackout drunk and did that in in an intoxicated state so he did tell them that he had been drinking and that he had likely consumed an unknown drug so he felt that somebody had drugged him so it was then when he woke up and he's like oh shit here's this person yeah so evidence against kyer continued to pile up while neighbors thought he was quiet yet pleasant and a little odd one of his one of the his neighbors told investigators that they saw the blue curtains that were in one of Kiger's windows from the time that he moved in, and then all of a sudden, two weeks before he was arrested, they went they were gone. There were no curtains, which eventually was his bedroom. That's impressively uh, observant by the neighbor. I could not tell you oh, a, I, could. I could not tell you a single color of any drapes or curtains on any house on my street, maybe oh, not even my own. I'm fucking nosy. I am. I <laughs> I am. Like, I know people are coming and going. I'm like, oh, God, did they die? Like, what happened? Oh, no, their garbage can moved. Okay. I I, am, I live in an elderly neighborhood, and so I am convinced that, that if, if someone's not moving around for a while, they're either visiting their children or they have perished. Like you have reason so, to be concerned. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I am. I am so nosy. I know exactly what color curtains they are. So if my neighbors do listen to this, uh, just know I'm looking out for your best interest. I, I also, yeah. I, I can't help but be somewhat surprised that after all this time had passed, that he hadn't done a more efficient job of cleaning his apartment, especially when he knew he was a suspect. All the blood they found in the tub and everything like that. I'm, you well, know, it was the I'm, 80s. What I, they didn't, yeah, I, you know, we can look back with, you know, we can right. Monday, morning, Monday, Monday morning quarter back. I don't know why that's always so hard for me to say. We can do that to the 80s. We can do that to any other time. Now, I mean, it would be a very different story, right? It's like, well, you're dumb. Like, why didn't you clean that up? Also, you shouldn't kill anybody. But that's more importantly, know. don't kill anyone. Right. Right. But what's interesting to note is the curtains that the neighbor had, had noticed were missing match the ones that were found that had blood spatter. Sure. So that's no secret. I mean, we all saw that coming, but um, just know there's a neighbor watching your house if, if, if you're not aware of that already. Well, so, thanks. Now I'm creeped out. <laughs> so Kiger eventually pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. He claimed that he was mentally ill. After all, when he graduated in 1976, he graduated from the special education program from Rushford High School. Okay. But it was for, he, he was there because of his severe dyslexia. Oh, and dyslexia, of course, not necessarily the same level of insane handicap or it's not a mental illness. 
It does not, no, right? Like, correct no. me if I'm wrong. Dyslexia I, I, is not a mental illness. No. That's no. more of a, a learning uh, in disability. The, in the 70s, we treated it as such. Oh. But at this, in, at this point, it, no. Even to, to even suggest that is ridiculous. So his trial was set for February 1987. And as his trial approached, the judge ordered a psychological evaluation by a psychologist that the judge, judge himself chose as well as one each chosen by the prosecution and defense. Okay, so, so that way, three. yeah, so three. So with the, uh, you know, not guilty by reason of mental illness, the jury would be tasked with deciding if Kiger was aware of what he was doing at the time of the crime, and if so, was he aware it was wrong? So that's just a, you know, if there is mental illness, that's what the jury has to decide. Okay, maybe there was mental illness during the initial commission of this crime or insanity or whatever. But dude, after the fact, I mean, you you, you committed horrible crimes after the fact with her body. Uh, like there was no, uh, you're insane in the moment, okay. But after the fact, you you made a lot of composed decisions to hack this body up, hide it, uh, these aren't the actions of an insane person. These are the actions of somebody who knowingly wants to cover their tracks. If they couldn't prove that he murdered her, it's still dismemberment or... or uh, uh, it's like violation, violation of a corpse, of a corpse. Uh, yeah. something yep. like that, which is a, a very high-level crime. Absolutely, yes. yeah. So when the evaluations came back, Kiger was, without a doubt, mentally competent to stand trial. Yeah. Again, because, you know, someone claiming to be... Uh, mentally ill because of their dyslexia would be this would be the same as me because I'm ADHD and can't focus. Right. It's 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 the it's a similar equivalent. I'm not. It's a similar comparison, I should say. I mean, not not to mention he was probably one of the few Minnesota citizens who understood the value of a two hundred dollar trout. I know. So right, right. Uh, you're doing you're doing math. Doing fish math. You ain't insane. That's a good one. On the way home, we should go through Bismarck so we can stop at the hatchery and just see what our options are. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. So, his, uh, so Kiger's new trial was set for March 1987. But just prior to trial, he changed his plea to not guilty. And in an incredibly surprising way. Wait, he was already not guilty by reason of insanity. Nope. Not guilty by reason of insanity. Now it's just not guilty. Oh. Okay. So these are two different versions table. of not guilty. 100%. Okay. Like very different. He's like, well, you guys figured out I'm not insane. I better change yeah. this up. Oh, I'm had. Shit. Okay. Uh, just not guilty now. Wow. Yeah. And, okay. But I, I wish there was more information about it as attorney because then two days later after changing his plea to just plain not guilty, he pleaded guilty. Oh, when he entered his guilty plea, he offered a statement. He told the judge, quote, All I can say is I'm sorry and wish it had never happened. That's the best he could do? Well, he continued and finally offered his version of what happened the night he murdered Morna Brennan. Quote, We engaged in conversation. Sexual advances were made. She did not wish to engage in the advances. Some hitting was done. Then, 
the sexual advances were engaged. Then she laid there without getting any medical care. That is so fucking sick. Why didn't Karate Guy kick this asshole's head through the TV? Make point. yourself useful, Karate Guy at Empty Pockets. It's a it's a fair point. What what struck me as so uh, so odd is the sentences were so um, almost staccato. Like if you're if you're a a music nerd like I am, like staccato, right? Like it was just very pointed. So we engaged in conversation. Period. Period. Sexual space. advances were made. Period. She did not wish to engage in the advances. Period. Basically, I beat the shit out of her. Period. Well, then, now she's interested, but she's not. She's not interested. Oh, I bet you he fucking thought that was so her. tactful. You raped her, and then she laid there without getting any medical care because you didn't allow her to, and you slit her throat in the bathtub. So, he was sentenced to life in prison and would be eligible for parole uh-huh. What? Yep. Wait, how does the first part go with the second how about this? part? He was sentenced to life in prison, period. And after serving 17 and a half years, he'd be eligible for parole. You're making me want to throw this microphone, period. They're kind of expensive. Please don't. Yeah. But he would be eligible for parole after only serving 17 and a half years, less than her age. And not that that is a factor, but just putting it in perspective. Let us not forget, this guy for sure already got away with raping somebody mm-hmm. 10 years prior. And here we are. He has for sure raped somebody, then killed them, then dismembered them. And how any justice system could look at that and say, eh, well, we might give you a shot here after 17 and a half years. Maybe, maybe you'll be ready by then. It doesn't mean he's going to get parole. I understand that. But the fact that it's, it, it shouldn't even be on the table. He, by his own admission, raped her. He wasn't charged with that. That alone should get. Wow. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. By so, his own admission. Yeah. So was he was he charged with abuse of a corpse either? He was he was not. Why aren't they throwing the book at this guy? It's insane. Because he already had gotten life. Doesn't sound like life was enough. So in the summer of 1987, Morna's family sued Empty Pockets in Maplewood for damages in the death of Morna. They claimed that there were not enough security inside and outside the club and inadequate training for those who were working security at the time, in addition to the lighting in the parking lot being inadequate. Now, looking at footage of this Packers bar in Vikings country, again, like bright green, bright yellow, it's odd, not the point, but uh, there was absolutely zero lighting it was very very dark probably probably pretty par for the course for that era i'm guessing you know absolutely not yep. making an excuse for empty no, pockets no, no, no. or anything no, but, it, but but i i think that when we know better we do better sure yeah and and yep. unfortunately these are the type of things that have forced mm-hmm. us into doing better and knowing right. better right so the family asked 
for $5,000 to cover funeral costs, which in 2023 it's about $17,000, and $50,000 in emotional damages. The club owners said the lighting was adequate and nightly, and uh, adequate and uh, and nightly there were four to five security guards inside plus one or two outside. That's a lot of security. Like it, that's a lot of security for a nightclub. Yeah. Uh, or, or maybe I don't frequent enough nightclubs to know what adequate security is. I, I, I always see like you got a door guy, maybe one or two. You did mention that the night security guy hung out in the parking lot to to he make did. things were. I don't want to say make sh- make sure things were legit, but you know he. It seems like he had a route of mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. checking things out, and he did that, but it wasn't good enough. And so I want to point out that the guy. So I can't. That security was, guard must feel bad. Absolutely. He's, Plus the friend that she was there with, <clears throat> excuse me, who turned around to speak to an acquaintance, and then moments later, probably within two to three minutes later. Morna was gone. That is just so chilling how quickly this, this happened. That's, that's what really is scary about this. Like the time span that it, that it likely took Morna to be abducted into that vehicle and then smashed her face. That happened really fast. It happened very fast. This, so this wasn't like a drawn out process that, that this guy did this to her in the parking lot. This, this, this was fast and, and efficient and mm-hmm. terrifying. And it's, it's just so freaking tragic. So there was speculation that it happened almost instantly when she got into the car, into his pickup, which I feel like all of the evidence leading up to it and the timeline lends itself to to backing that up. And he says that she willfully got into her vehicle. He didn't have to force her oh, in. Oh, I'm so glad you... Because... I'm so glad you asked that because, no, he never said he left that part out. Yeah, I even being asked, he left that part out, and to this day, nobody's actually sure what made her get into the vehicle. I have a hard time believing she got in there willfully. I don't know, especially considering this guy had already harassed them. You you established that Morna was a pretty vigilant person. Mm-hmm. You you, you mm-hmm. did. You established she had standards. She and, was vigilant. They didn't go to the bar. Drinker. Wasn't a heavy drinker. After so. after having a couple beers, she usually switched to soda. I'm, I'm not yeah. thinking this was um, a girl doing round after round of shots at the bar who, you know, tipsily wandered her way outside or second. something. Not that that invites. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. No, of course humans. not. It doesn't. I'm, and I no. know that that's not what you're implying. If that were the case, we wouldn't be at the stable together. Right. Um, but. It's a factor in the situation. because when, when we do lose our inhibitions, it does make us more susceptible. Not that we deserve it. Not that that's what, uh, because, hey, uh, parents teach your sons to do better because that's not, uh, you know, welcoming that. That's not what that means. Male or female, if you're shit-faced, you're an easier victim. And it doesn't mean you, it doesn't mean you don't have a right to want to have fun and get S-faced no. or, or anything like that. But I just think it's, you know... For me, in understanding how Kiger was able to do this, you know, he did this to a girl who was likely mostly sober, who mm-hmm. was was someone who tried to be aware of what was going on just after that security guard turned his back on the situation. And it's just to emphasize how instantaneous sure. these tragic situations can occur. And it's something that 
you know, I impart onto my daughter when you're in a place, if you're with, stay with the people you're with. Yeah. I, I practice that as a man. Stay with the, stay with the people I'm with. Like when I was, you know, younger and going out and, and partying because you didn't know if somebody might want to, some dudes are just looking for fights. You know, other dudes like this are looking for female victims. Well, like well, it's, while dudes are looking for fights, women are worried about being raped. Of course. Right. Like that's, that's it, the, the bottom line. It, so staying attached and partnering up, it, it I mean, it really, mm-hmm. it, it really is uh, so important and. Yeah, it's again it's super the sad. quickness with which I I feel like this happened. This is what I want to emphasize to sure. anybody. I, I know what is, you're saying. Please don't. I'm not yeah. looking for. No, a I fight. know you're not. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, we've we've had this conversation many times. Usually, it's on our uh, late night road trips uh, when I'm not saying Hamilton. Um, that 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 we we talk about these things, and it, it's you know you said it earlier. When we know better, we do better. And uh, for whatever reason, there are still people that think. People owe them something for buying a drink for uh, just because they're a different gender. In this it sucks. On some level, I mean, do you do you feel was there any reason to believe that Kiger went there that night looking for a victim? Do you, I mean, do you think this was a man that was actively seeking to rape, or he was just so drunk and and had a pre-existing pensions for violence that so I, I the, don't, the, I, the getting turned off and feeling sure. like he was owed something did that set him off or did he leave was he going to make a victim of somebody that night regardless i you know you don't know the, for sure is, but what is, is your instinct per, this is yeah. my personal opinion my instinct that i i don't think he set out to do that i i don't what I think happened is he'd had a fight with his ex-girlfriend, which that is, they had had a fight earlier. Um, he was, a, he was a parent. So he had a oh, one-year-old what? child. He had two kids, a one-year-old child. He'd recently been in court, um, negotiating his child support payments. And so he had a one-year-old child. And from what I can gather, I believe it was with the ex-girlfriend and they had had a, a fight and I think that was his first level of, um, anger, I guess, if you will. And then when he was rejected by this woman at the bar, that set him off and felt and was taking out his anger on her because she rejected him. Do you think he was waiting in the parking lot for her or he was just in the parking lot Mm -mm. roiling over anger, saw her and took the opportunity? I think he was waiting for her. He was waiting to ambush her. And that's my personal opinion. Right. I think he was waiting for her and it just happened to work out that she walked out by herself. So sort of a crime of opportunity but he was he was kind of waiting for it yeah i don't think he set out that night to do so but then once you know i i don't want to say it's a perfect storm because that feels shitty when it's discussing no, human of course, life right right but but i think uh emotionally things just kept setting him up for these actions and um and if he was waiting in the parking lot, I guess, why the hell didn't the security guard see him in the car waiting? Well, because he's just in his car. And again, yeah. it's, 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 dark. In, it's Maplewood. It's dark. It's Maplewood, Minnesota in November. It's fucking cold. We're always waiting for our cars to warm up. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, I so, mean somebody nothing... waiting for their car to warm up their their windows to defrost yeah, or whatever. It's that's not, not it's, that odd. It's it's yes, yeah, it's not very suspicious at no, the time. No, not at all. Um, but the, but the the part that 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 just I want to point out again is that Morna was walking out, and she likely passed that security, security guard, guard walking, walking in, in, and he was only inside for about four to five minutes. That's it. You know, she walks, if her and her friend walk out together, this maybe doesn't happen. There's probably not getting two of them. And you know? I will, I don't want to suggest this because I will never be the person that, uh, because of what she was wearing, that's not what I'm saying here. It's November and she wasn't wearing a jacket, right? So would that have stopped her? This is not her fault. That's not what I'm implying. No. If she had been wearing a jacket, would that have stopped her from getting into his car? If that was the motive, right? If she willfully got in there because she yes. was cold? Yep. Yeah, it's possible. You know, there, I mean, there are a hundred different scenarios that yeah. could have changed this situation. Um, what happened with the family lawsuit to empty pockets? So there was nothing ever reported. Oh, okay. So, I mean, you can uh, uh, maybe assume that they settled out of court. Or you can assume that it was dismissed, but there was nothing. Um, I searched every single year after this, okay. and there was nothing uh, nothing announced. Um, Ricky Kiger, uh, I'm not sure how I feel about this. The fact that he was still in prison does make me... Uh, it does help He's the He's still in prison now? Well, he was found dead in his cell in April 2014, but he was still in prison. At least he wasn't found dead in his home surrounded by his loving family. Well, yeah, he I was, agree. He was found dead in a cell. There were very little details as far as, um, you know, how he was found, which kind of lends itself to natural causes kind of thing. Uh, but, Oh, yeah. okay. So then he was just found dead. It wasn't no foul play maybe or they don't know suicide, if, it, if maybe, he died yeah. by suicide yeah. necessarily. And, he was just, and there's likely no way for us to know. Yeah. No, of course yeah. not. I, they're pretty tight lipped about those things. Especially is it wrong if I hope they feed, they fed him to the trout? Am I allowed to feel that? Well, you're allowed to feel any feeling. Thank yeah, you. Your feelings are valid regardless yeah. of what they are. Well, doesn't mean them. doesn't make them accurate. No. But yeah. Well, my, my valid. Can you tell I've been to therapy? <laughs> <laughs> your feelings are valid. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, this one bothers me. This one bothers me a lot because he killed her because she rejected him. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. At what point do you think that you get to control someone else? Uh, well, and it sucks because it, it feels like on some level, the staff at Empty Pockets tried to do the right thing. They tried to get this guy away from her. They mm-hmm. kicked him out. They told him to leave her alone. Uh, I mean, it just, it feels like he was identified as a problem mm-hmm. and, and they, they wanted to handle the problem. And this guy lingered waiting to do something horrible. Yeah. And yeah. So sources for today's case on this day.com for the timeline, various articles from the Star Tribune by uh, Larry Oaks, Richard Mary Hugh, Hugh, Chris Eisen, Bruce Belt, and then also St. Cloud Times, Winona Daily News, Austin Daily Herald, and the Murdered by Morning TV show on Oxygen. Uh, merch, 
by all means, buy some. Uh, com slash Midwest-murder. And this episode is written by myself, Don Palumbo. Midwest Murder is hosted by this guy to my right, Joan Lanto, and myself, Don Palumbo. And it is produced by the Good Talk Network. Uh, just a reminder to those of you in the audience tonight, you have the QR codes and those cute little uh, adorable stands. Make sure you scan those and you can submit questions. And of course, most importantly, name the episode. I'm yeah. guessing it's going to have something to do with trout. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you, Wapiton. guys. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you.